I'm Leah, and I like death, I do. It's a statement. Hundreds of police and FBI agents surrounded this small house on East 54th Street in the south central area of the city. Shortly before 6 p.m., gunfire erupted. For more than an hour, thousands of rounds of automatic weapons and small gunfire were exchanged between police and the suspects inside the house. Six tear gas assaults were made in an attempt to flush out the fugitives. Until finally, houses on either side, as well as the pink wood and stucco fortress, caught fire. Fire believed to have been started by an exploding gas canister. Some of the bodies were burned beyond recognition and awaited final positive identification following coroner's autopsy. It was an incredible, almost unbelievable ending the most intensive manhunt of recent years. And yet, it was viewed as it happened by millions watching on national television. This is Pete Miller in Los Angeles. Do you ever fantasize about listening to Hank? It's now time for Death by DVD. I'm Hank, and you know what this is. You know what this is. Patty Hearst, in her own words. Well, Patty Hearst, in my own words. Part three, the final. You know, it's not even the name of the movie. Patty Hearst, her own story. That's the name of the movie. But who cares? Who's paying attention to that, right? So it has been a week of Patty Hearst, a week-long Patty Hearst extravaganza. We've laughed. <laughs> cried. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if actually we did any of that, but we sure have talked a lot. And now this is the uh, finale. This is the end. Something new here. Wanted to experiment with new content and see how that went, which is exciting. It's always fun seeing people's reactions to something new, but all good things have to come to an end. And most of the time when the U.S. government is involved in it, it's a fiery end. Why does it always have to end in fire? But before we begin the beginning of the end, I do have something that I wanted to talk about, something that was troubling me I wanted to bring up before we stutter around for a little while and figure out where we left off and jump back into this whole thing. While researching Patty Hearst, uh, the Symbionese Liberation Army, the news coverage of what happened, the kidnapping, the bank robberies, I found it nearly impossible to find any news about the SLA food drives, the two successful food drives and the one wrecked by then-Governor Reagan and the police, the Hearst refusal to the SLA's original money plea for the food drive. All you can really find is doom and, and gloom and brainwashing and kidnapping, like a very specific narrative is being adhered to. Adhorned to? That doesn't sound right. Like being adhorned to, no, that, that can't be it, whatever. Like a very specific narrative is being followed for the sake of history, and uh, all other aspects apparently don't matter, which is, is very strange. I think it's troubling and, uh, you know, despairing at least. 
but it happens constantly, like how they teach in schools now that the very first Thanksgiving, the Native Americans, they all hung out with the pilgrims and they had cake and punch and everything was really great and everyone had a really nice time and, you know, they all went on each other's Christmas card lists after that and it just worked out really well. That's not entirely how things went. Nice story, though, I guess. And that's what we have here with Patty. A nice story, I guess. When all the other sides are lost or forgotten and we are forced to accept one narrative, is it someone forcing lies on us or are we lying to ourselves? Or is it just being lazy and not journeying for the truth? Are we, as a people, just complacent being told something as a truth and not questioning it anymore? I don't know. Just something I wanted to touch upon before we get back into the, the Schrader film and the ending of this dang old extravaganza. Now, finding SLA communiques, their writing, uh, pamphlets, so on and so forth, that's not, that's not very hard. A quick Google search, in fact, of the words Symbionese Liberation Army communiques will, will do you well. I strongly suggest researching everything for yourself. Sure, for entertainment purposes, it's great hearing someone talk about it. Uh, infliction, emotion, all that stuff really makes a difference when, you know, you're, you're hearing something, when you're learning something auditory. But always question everything. Authority, the facts, fuck it, question everything. It's the best way to learn, by, by questioning everything. Question reality if you have to. Question everything. And you know, this, this isn't just pertaining to Patty Hearst and the, the Symbionese Liberation Army, but life in general. All right, anyhow. What was going on? So the SLA goes to LA with the help of the NOI. That's a lot of acronyms. Um, let's go back again. <laughs> let's do that one more time. The Symbionese Liberation Army goes to Los Angeles with the help of the Nation of Islam. Patty, Tico, and Yolanda go on a little ride, and that's it. That's where we are. Okay. Ahem. <clears throat> Let's get this party started. The beginning of the end and the finale to Patty Hearst. In her, in my own words. Haha, <laughs> I caught it that time. Part 3. At a sporting goods store in Inglewood called Mel's, Tico decides that he is going to steal some socks. He's caught by security. He's going to be arrested. And Patty's out in the car. She's in a VW van with the keys and an assault rifle. She could have driven away. She could have escaped the entire situation. But she opens fire, saving the day. Yolanda and Tico get back to the van and they drive off. They end up finding a hotel room near Disneyland to stay the night where they find on TV some absolutely devastating live news. The FBI has found the SLA. At a house on 54th Street in L.A., devastation has widespread begun. This is Channel 7's Eyewitness News with Judd Hambrick, John Schubeck, and the Eyewitness News team. Good evening, I'm Judd Hambrick. Here's what's happening at 11 o'clock. The gunfire has stopped and the flames are out, but a big question mark still hangs over South Central Los Angeles at this very moment. A question as large and perhaps as tragic as any on the West Coast in the last 103 days. Is the body of Patty Hearst among the five found early tonight in a shot-up, burned-out home on 54th and Compton Avenues? A home that went up in unchecked flames as the climax of a shootout in which Los Angeles police fired more ammunition than they ever had fired before in a single law enforcement assault. Just who are the five persons killed? That still is not known. If any of them have been identified, it's not been officially disclosed. At Hillsborough, California, the Randolph Hearst family has apparently given in to the inevitable fear. A family spokesman said tonight that the feeling inside the Hearst home is that it's all over for Patty. 
Yet despite that atmosphere, the family spokesman added that the Hearst still are clinging to some hope that their daughter was somewhere else, not in a stucco house at Compton and 54th Avenue here in Los Angeles. Now, we knew the SLA wasn't going to give themselves up, and they were waiting for an opportunity to fight the power and to fuck the man. But we don't know who fired first. We don't know what started this. What we know is that day, the FBI burned down a house filled with people. And they came there to do that. The FBI didn't even try to take them alive. They weren't there for that. Yolanda, Tico, and Tanya watched the SLA die on television. They watched their comrades die. Now for Patty, it might even be bittersweet. But what we're shown on screen is an absolute breakdown. We're, we're shown horror. And we're shown the reality. This was not hidden by Patty or Paul. They didn't try to take them alive. The FBI came in there and they burned them down. And no one survived. Patty got to watch what would have been her death. The police and reporter said Patty was in there. And it's just like SinQ told her. If they had come in and they had taken her out, it would have been the perfect tool for fascist repression. We killed the rich girl turned gorilla Patty Hearst. I mean, you guys have seen Escape from L.A. Even John Carpenter tried to turn his hand at the story of Patty Hearst, but he failed miserably. All he did was help perpetuate the bullshit more and more and more. Good casting, though. And one would think it's all over. I mean, this is the end. The leader is gone. The army is gone. The FBI burned him down like it was Waco. That hadn't even happened yet. Ruby Ridge hasn't even happened yet. History keeps managing to repeat itself, and no one notices. Isn't it wild? These actions unfortunately leave Tico to becoming the new field marshal general of the SLA, a man who is a buffoon. The real Tico is a buffoon, and the William Forsyth portrayal is a buffoon. The character was already annoying, but he becomes insufferable at this point. Patty's next tape to the media outlines her fallen comrades. I want to talk about the way I knew our six murdered comrades, because the fascist pig media has, of course, been painting a typically distorted picture of these beautiful sisters and brothers. Sin Q loved the people with tenderness and respect. He helped me see that it's not how long we live that's important, it's how we live. Jelena was beautiful. She exploded with a desire to kill the pig. She taught me how to fight the enemy within through her constant struggle with bourgeois conditioning. Gabi practiced until her shotgun was an extension of her right and left arms. She taught me the patience and discipline necessary for survival and victory. Zoya, female gorilla, perfect love and perfect hate reflected in stone-cold eyes. Faiza was a beautiful sister who taught me to shoot first and make sure the pig is dead before splitting, and I'll always love her. Kujo was the gentlest, most beautiful man I've ever known. Neither Kujo or I had ever loved an individual the way we loved each other. Our relationship's foundation was our commitment to the struggle and our love for the people. It's because of this that I still feel strong and determined to fight. Our comrades didn't die in vain. The pig lies about the advisability of surrender have only made me more determined. I renounced my class privilege when Sin and Kujo gave me the name Tanya. While I have no death wish, I have never been afraid of death. 
For this reason, the brainwashed duress theory of the pig hearsts has always amused me. Life is very precious to me, but I have no delusions that going to prison will keep me alive. And I would never choose to live the rest of my life surrounded by pigs like the Hursts. Death to the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people. And this is something that is truly damning later on to her. But it's shown to be more of a ploy sticking to the very specific narrative that we are being shown in this film. Patty does realize that the people hate her, though. Patty realizes at this point that the tables have turned, that she is not accepted, and that they don't care. She sees it in the media, she sees it in the news. They hate her, but they can't stop talking about her. We begin moving into the last parts of the movie, the laying low era, which is incredibly slow, and a lot of the momentum and what made the pacing and made the intensity of this film, it, it just kind of falls apart here. Things go into a, a, a very relaxed, and I mentioned this very earlier, the, the whole soundtrack even begins to change, and it becomes this kind of sappy, we're going to learn something movie soundtrack and it just really loses its pacing and it's a little confusing because you're not shown any sympathy toward Tico, you're not shown any sympathy toward Yolanda, but uh, Jody Long is introduced as Wendy Yoshimura who is helping hide the remaining SLA members in Pennsylvania and again, it's a character that you're not given a lot of depth with, you're not given a lot of background with, but what you are allowed to see is uh, sympathy. You're allowed to see that the movie is going to continue fitting its one-sided narrative, but you learn that there are all types of women, something that she says to Tico after an altercation that not everyone is going to back down to you, and I think you have an allowance in this point with this character to see that not all the female members of the SLA or people that were involved in these sort of radical organizations were, were just there for the autonomy, were not just there to fit in, that she had a place, she had a persona, she had an identity, not just token characters, not just, oh, that's a woman in the movie. There's a point to it. But still, everything becomes much weaker and a little bit sloppier from this point out. And when I say things like this movie continues to fit its one-sided narrative, I don't mean to say that in an attacking manner, and I'm not trying to say it with any disregard to the storytelling on Paul Schrader's part, but that's just the truth. It is fitting and telling a one-sided narrative. I gotta keep talking about the different sides. I think I'm good on that, right? A new white SLA is formed by Tico and Yolanda. They turn the organization into a bunch of blundering, bank-robbing bombers. Terrorists, if you will. The farthest thing from revolutionaries that they could be. And, and for really no point, they're going to bomb a bunch of cops. A lot of these things, a lot of these things, all of these things, Patty was involved in. She wasn't just sitting around with her hands under her butt. She was involved in all of this. She was there for all of it. Again... The movie doesn't point out anything in this direction as to why she didn't walk away, but a lot of that is available for you to research on your own, that she truly felt that she couldn't. She was under their control. No longer Sinkyu, no longer Cujo, but Tico and Yolanda. But really, the SLA is no longer revolutionaries for the people. They, they are farther from what they started than they could be. A bland, personalityless wannabe is now in control is calling the shots and it's just for notoriety it's just to do something it's absolutely senseless it's cowboy bullshit but no one is in charge N no one at this point is in charge of the sla and it's very reminiscent of the modern left there is no leaders just many heads talking all at once after the shootout in la tico just turns it all to shit a senseless reactionary with no ethos of his own he has nothing a hollow man a straw man 
And at this point, Patty just seems to almost incidentally be a part of the movie. It, nothing really flows. You're given this introduction to the new SLA and all the bombings, and it's very washed over. This is some of the most devastating and heinous part of SLA's history is when Tico becomes their leader, that they blindly begin, uh, not even IRA style, ignorantly causing these bombings throughout the LA area, all in an attempt to kill police officers, and none of them are successful. And it's just destroying at any potential that this organization had to be a front for peace. And I know that sounds ridiculous because everything that they've been responsible for at this point has been violence and chaos. But at its theory, at its seed, at its core, there was an attempt or a call or a hope for some unionization of peace. And I said this earlier, every extremity, I think, has a formation similar in somebody's mindset that this is the right idea. This is the right thing that needs to be done. This is what's revolutionary. And people buy into it. They believe it. They have nothing else. I mean, what happens when the hunters become hunted? The SLA scared the FBI. That's why they came at them with fire. They thought Patty was in there. When they burned them down, they thought Patty was in that building. The FBI really loves playing with fire. And the CIA. All of them. All the acronyms. But they came in there with a cause, and they came in there with a purpose. Saving Patty Hearst was not their cause or purpose. Suddenly, Patty gets arrested, and it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit, that's what this movie's about. There's a whole thing going on here. Good evening. Patty Hearst has been taken into custody. The FBI says Patty Hearst was picked up today in San Francisco. The Hearst newspaper heiress has been missing for 19 months. First, she was kidnapped. Then she announced that she had joined ranks with her kidnappers, members of the Symbionese Liberation Army. She called herself Tanya. She was later indicted in connection with a San Francisco bank holdup and labeled a fugitive. Here, from Jess Marlowe in Los Angeles, is a report on what has happened to Patty Hearst since she was kidnapped. Patty Hearst shared a $300 a month apartment with her fiance, Stephen Weed. She was kidnapped the night of February 4th by two black men and a white woman. Witnesses said the abductors fired guns as they fled. Stephen Weed was badly beaten, but he said he would not testify against the suspects if Patty Hearst were released unharmed. Three days later, the kidnappers sent a taped message identifying themselves as members of the Symbionese Liberation Army. The SLA's ransom demand was for free food. And the Hearst family and the Hearst Corporation bought $2 million worth. But the food giveaway plan was badly managed. The SLA said in a later tape, the giveaway was a sham. In April, the SLA used a San Francisco florist to deliver another message. It said the details of Patty's release would be made public within three days. But the next day, another tape dashed any hope Patty Hearst would be coming home. We have been given the choice of one, being released in a safe area, or two, joining the forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army and fighting for my freedom and the freedom of all oppressed people. I have chosen to stay and fight. Two weeks later, on April 15th, five members of the SLA robbed the Hibernia Bank in San Francisco. Two people were shot during the robbery and the SLA gang got away with more than $10,000. The robbery was filmed by the bank's automatic cameras. The FBI said the girl in the wig with the automatic rifle was Patricia Hearst. 
Yeah. And Cowboy Patty is at her best. Power to the people. Power to Patty. She's arrested. The first photograph of her, an iconic photo sitting in the back of the police car with the power to the people fist hidden behind sunglasses. This is what the world is introduced to. This is what America saw as Patty Hearst. A rebel. A terrorist. She's brought in and they ask her, what's your occupation? Because, uh, you know, this is the most important thing when you're being arrested. What's your occupation? And she tells them, another nail in her coffin, that she is an urban gorilla. Hence why I keep using that term. And then I guess what you learn is, it's all fun and games until they take your shoes away and lock you in a cell. And we return to a similar shooting style of something that we were presented at the very beginning of the film. A very lonely style. A very set-based style, heavy on lights, and what we're being shown is how far away we've been taken from everything. Everything that we've been exposed to. It's just seeping farther and farther away as it becomes more muddled with the sensationalism of the media. What you're shown here is that America wanted entertainment. Patty got sold up the river for entertainment, for media, for television. It was just the public gawking at her. They wanted something. They wanted answers, but not to the real questions. Why did you do this, Patty? Not why did this happen. Not why do these things happen in our country, but why did you do this, rich girl who had everything? You had all the money in the world. Why would you do this? Well, maybe because money doesn't fucking mean shit. Now, of course, on the right hands, money does. But in this situation, it was, just as everyone involved, bored white people. Patty's rape is even more shown at this point that it's not just physical, but it is, is everything. Everything is raped and taken from her. The doctors even say, this is just a medical procedure. You're making it worse. Medical procedures to show and prove how many times she was raped and hurt. That even in this instance. She has nothing of her own. It's all been taken from her. Poignantly, Schrader tells us twice through the mouth of Patty Hearst, I want to tell the truth, but I don't know what it is. And she tells her attorney this, and this is something that's very important because we're shown that Patty herself isn't lying. What we're shown is Patty just doesn't know. I have memories like holes and Swiss cheese is something she says. Patty is beaten with fruity and psychosexual psychology to get anything, any answer that can be used, anything that can just be jotted down on a piece of paper. She was brainwashed. She was brainwashed. It was definitely brainwashing. She was totally 100% brainwashed. And it doesn't impress America because, after all, she is a rich girl. While on the stand being berated, she even says, I I'm just not sure what happened to me. And no one is, and no one will ever know. Was it brainwashing? Was it Stockholm Syndrome? Did she become so comfortable with her captors that she began robbing banks and helping making bombs and trying to kill pigs? Or was it her own ideology? Was it boredom? Was it raging against the machine and her own thoughts and aspects? What... The movie ends with, I think, makes all of that not important. And it is. It's, 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 all of these things need to be taken into consideration. You can have this romantic bullshit idea of the Patty Hearst story. And I sympathize. I don't, want, I don't at all say that she wasn't raped. I don't say that she wasn't abused or that she wasn't brainwashed. Now what I will say is if Patty had acted on her own, if there was no regard for brainwashing... If that ploy had never been used or brought up, I would still be on her side. I think Patty Hearst is a perfect example of what we do to the youth of our country. After all, when she was kidnapped, she was 19 years old, and I think sufficiently that is a youth. We do nothing to encourage the future. We do nothing to encourage the betterment of society, and we do nothing to make tomorrow a better place. What we do is secure the capital. We secure capitalist ideas. We secure the money, the capital. 
Not the capital of the country. Clearly, we don't secure that. Fucking trillion dollar budget and a bunch of hillbillies with AR-15s and swastika t-shirts can just walk right in. Four years, Donald Trump's been saying we need to build a wall to keep the Mexicans out. And a bunch of fucking hillbillies just managed to scale the goddamn Senate wall. Wow, great! Patty Hearst scared people. Just like SinQ. Just like the word terrorism. Just like the word socialism. Just like the word communism. Unfortunately, the word fascism doesn't seem to scare people. That doesn't seem to revolutionize anymore. There's something really sad about that. There's something really heartbreaking about that. This was a hard story to tell, and I don't know how well I did it. I know a lot of my political ideologies seeped into this. I know the story is very muddled, and, uh, you know... Just like this film, if I could have had eight hours to do this in a miniseries, it probably would have worked a lot better. But that's not how it was done, and that's not how the Patty Hearst film was done. Obviously, things had to be compressed, but we're given enough for Patty's point of view, and I think we're given enough to have an understanding and see a point. And the point isn't just some awful kidnapping story. It's not just some jejun to dust off a favorite word of mine brainwashing story. There's a lot more to this. There are so many different angles. There are so many different sides that, unfortunately, will never, ever be told. But isn't that history in general? Isn't that everything that we're exposed to? We, we never have an actual story. And what we're given from the media, what the media controls and allows us to be given, rather, is never the truth. And it's always fanaticism. It is always shined up. It is always more than it appears to be. The facts are constantly hidden. The facts are always taken away. But that truly is the American way. I mean, why on God's green earth do, did men like Henry Kissinger ever have power? You want to tell me that fascism isn't live and well, that fascism isn't raging in the United States? You want to tell me that our leaders, our elected officials, are not fascists? I, I, can't, I can't buy that. I can't abide by that, and I can't take it. I'm not saying that the answer to all of this is radicalizing and starting your own liberation army, but what I'm saying is that there are different sides to absolutely every single story, even something as sympathetic as this. I'm not telling you to disregard all the things that Patty Hearst has had to say. You should look at her story, you should look at her side of the story, and it should radicalize you. It, it should give you strong feelings of disdain to our country, unfortunately. And I don't mean that in a fuck the government anarchy. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. But you should be hurt. You should be disgusted, for one, that they did this to an individual, that this happened to Patty Hearst, but this happened to so many other people, she wasn't the only person involved. SinQ, Cujo, all these revolutionaries, terrorists, yuppies, prisoners, felons, monsters, thugs, goons, warriors, whatever you want to call them. They all had a, a life. They all had a soul. They all had a purpose. And all of these people were brought together uh, completely under common beliefs. Common beliefs that were instilled by, by the world into them. It's not like they came up with these ideas on their own. These people were radicalized by a system that radicalizes people to shoot them down. These people were radicalized by a system that radicalizes people to shoot them down as examples, as to say that you shouldn't be this way or you're going to be shot down. And all the villains, all the boogeymen, all the nasty people that we can talk about that live in our society, most of them have been perpetuated by the fascist machine, by the blood-sucking beast that really is out there to get you. It's not Freddy Krueger coming for you in your dreams. 
It's just your hopes and dreams being withered away by a machine that wants you to die for it. Wants you to sacrifice yourself and your family for it. And for what? What do you get? What do you get out of it outside of, well, I worked every single day of my life, and then when I finally got cancer, my healthcare couldn't cover it. But you know what? That's the American way. It doesn't make sense. Work your entire life to die for nothing. I'm not saying fight. I'm not perpetuating terrorism. Just saying there's something, something you need to question, something that you need to look at when it comes to the bigger picture of things. And the easiest way to show you that there are different perspectives and there are so many different sides to a story is the Patty Hearst story itself. We know what she has to say, but we don't know what everyone else has to say, and we never will. We have communiques, we have letters, we have propaganda from both sides, and we'll never really know the truth. What can I say? Patty is found guilty and sent to prison for her crimes, which are pretty serious crimes. Two bank robberies, one she participated in directly, and one she was a getaway driver for. Multiple attempted murders with the bombings, and though never effective, they were trying to kill cops. Her sentence was eventually commuted for all this by Jimmy Carter, and I guess just went back to normal life. Normal millionaire, billionaire life. In the early 2000s, the surviving SLA members were brought up on murder charges for the other bank robbery and committed nearly 30 years prior. They were all found guilty and had to serve additional time, except for Patty, who had been pardoned by Slick Willie Clinton in 1999. If that doesn't say something about the history of presidential pardons, I guess history really does fall on deaf ears. Seems like that Hearst money really came in handy after all. The rich take care of the rich. I wonder if they spent more money on Patty's court cases than what the SLA had asked for for the food program in the first place. I bet they did. I mean, you've got the whole getting it commuted thing and all the appeals. and I mean, it's not like they hired cheap defense. And then, God, years later, I mean, 1999. 1999, Patty Hearst is pardoned. In the long run, they probably spent twice as much as it would have to have fed the poor and hungry in Oakland, or LA, or any other city in California. I guess that doesn't matter anymore. Fuck them. Fuck the hungry. Fuck them. Fuck them. Patty says at the end of the movie while talking to her lawyer, fuck them all. They'll never get it. The people will never get it. So fuck them. Which almost gives the appearance that Patty didn't learn anything from this. Which isn't entirely true because she learned money can eventually get you a presidential pardon. Her sentence was commuted by Carter. Clinton pardoned her, just like Cheeto did Lil Wayne. Exactly like Lil Wayne. God fucking damn it. What a world. What a world we live in. And we just traded in the Cheddar Cheeto for the White Cheddar Cheeto. So here's to the new boss. Same as the old boss. Nothing really changes, just a new face to the same old monster. Patty not being tried and found guilty for a second time doesn't change anything. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't magically make the death of Myrna Opshaw disappear, something Patty was involved in. I mean, she's the getaway driver in a scenario that led to somebody's death. Regardless, she should have been tried just as well as everyone else that was and found guilty and ended up serving seven to eight years on top of their additional sentences they'd already served. Yet alone... The two deaths that took place during a robbery that she, Patty Hearst, was actively holding a gun for. 
I wonder if anyone that was affected by the actions of Patty Hearst got any of that sweet, sweet, sweet Hearst money. Or did it just go to her getting commuted and pardoned? I don't know. What can I say? What I can say we do know is the people were always against Patty, and the people are still against Patty, and they will always be. But it doesn't change that she was found guilty by a jury of 12 peers that looked at her and said, you're a rich girl, and you've gone too far, because you know it don't matter anyway. You can get by on the old man's money, and we don't care. You can get by on the old man's money. You can get by on the old man's money. What's important is that this was Patty's story, and it was told beautifully. This is what we got. This is what we got from Paul Schrader, and this is what you get. You can look at this movie, and you can see it as a dramatic, artistic struggle. You can see it as this portrayal of one person's story to overcome everything, or you can look at everything else involved, and you can see the corruption and the hate and the sickness, and you can truly see why this is a movie that Paul Schrader was just made to, to make. Something that's unique with, with all of his stories is every single one of his main characters tends to be very, very self-destructive, even like Travis Bickle. It's not so much about them, but about their destruction or their lack of humanity or their lack of regard for humanity. And Patty might not have known who she was when she went into this, but when she came out, she knew something. She definitely knew something. Now, does it matter... If Patty Hearst had visited Sin Q in prison before the kidnapping, does it matter that she became radicalized in her own dorm room while studying at UC Berkeley? No. Doesn't matter when, doesn't matter why. What matters is that it happened and we've managed to forget. We've managed to forget so easily. I mean, what's going to have to go down next? Noah Cyrus get kidnapped and no one have to give a shit about it? Not even that rich. Talking about the most rich people in the world, and I fucking reference one of Billy Ray Cyrus's kids. Jesus Christ. You get the drift. Fuck it. Let's go back to that Elon Musk reference. Fuck that guy. Fuck his kids. Fuck his family. <laughs> but look, no, no, that's the problem. Oh, no, I'm doing the same thing that everyone did to Patty Hearst in 1974. Ah, shit. Look at me. I'm even guilty of the fascist insect that feeds upon us. And it's it's perception. It's, it's all 100%... Not, not just my perception or your perception, but what we're given by the goddamn media, what we are allowed to know, and what we are given to know. We can turn and hate people we've never met. Now, Elon Musk really is somebody you should hate. He is kind of a fucking asshole. Nobody that owns lithium mines should, should be recognized as, as a good person. Hey, I'm going to come up with this great technology that can send us to space. Up, oh, surprise, I'm going to use it to deliver weapons. Because selling guns really makes a lot of money. The Patty Hearst show just quickly became the fuck Elon Musk show. Patty Hearst supported this film at Cannes in 1988 when it was released. Something that is uh, kind of humorous. Patty went with Paul Schrader to the release of this movie. To where a very, very hyped up John Waters found Paul Schrader and told him, I'm a fucking fanatic, I gotta meet her. Got to have dinner with Patty and the rest is history. We've got that amazing scene in Serial Mom, the white after Labor Day scene. But the rich girl gets out of prison. That's what ends up happening here. P Patty gets out of prison. An eventual pardon. The others, they were burned to death in L.A. An unfortunate end to the story. Whether Patty was brainwashed or not, people are still starving. And the fascist insect is still preying rampantly upon the people. The sensationalist aspect of the story renders what the SLA wanted originally not important. Because at the end of the day, all anyone could care about was the media frenzy. Obviously, under Tico and Sin Q also, the SLA is guilty of acts of terror. But what difference is the U.S. government 
Sometimes, most of the time, the far left and the far right are one and the same. After that, everything is lost and forgotten. The point now just lost in time under the dust of bullshit. Before we get out of here and end this episode, I've got something I'd like to read you people. This article comes from 1974. To 1974, to be exact. Written by Bernard R. Smallwood, a former Central Committee member in Bancheremos, one of the organizations that, that would visit prisons in the late 1960s and early 70s, an organization that could be held responsible for the indoctrination and radicalization of SinQ, a.k.a. Donald DeFries. Yes, the left in general is freaked out by the Symbionese Liberation Army. They are freaked out because there is no real leadership, no direction in the New Left movement itself. The only thing the leaders within the New Left know about the SLA is that they don't like it. And the primary reason for this attitude is a feeling that the actions of the SLA will only increase police repression. But these leaders fail to understand why groups like the SLA come about. They focus primarily on the cart and ignore the horse. In other words, just as the mass media, they are focusing on the symptoms and ignoring the problems. The facts that hunger, poor housing, racism, sexism, and no jobs at all exist. These conditions are very real, and they are all integral parts of this society affecting primarily people of color and poor white working people. These so-called leaders of the left understand that it is wrong to dictate to the people that they want and how to go about getting it without consulting them. However, they fail to understand that it is equally wrong to not be prepared to engage in struggle when the people are ready. It is true that the police and the mass media are attempting to use the SLA to discredit all struggles for radical change in this country, and this is bad. But I believe that it is possible to turn a bad thing into a good thing. And in order for us to do this, our priorities must service and response to the need and problems of the people. And any decisions to be made affecting the people must involve their participation and determination. Of course, in order to do this successfully, we must have an organization with leadership representative of the people. It is unfortunate that the needs and problems of the people, which are a reality, receive public attention only when critical situations like this arise. I feel that the key questions here is what lessons are the American people, including the new left, going to learn from the situations we are now confronted with? Are we going to call for harder crackdown on all the people struggling for radical change in this country? Are we going to call for new laws to give increased power to the police? Are we going to forget that it is, in fact, the oppression and the violence of the state which gives rise to groups such as SLA? There is a historical lesson we can draw from our government's involvement in Vietnam. Namely, that oppression, exploitation, i.e. U.S. imperialism, breeds resistance. Wherever oppression exists, the people will fight back, even if it means giving up their lives. The ghettos and jails in America which are nothing more than concentration camps for the poor, are breeding grounds for resistance. Where else can the poor, the so-called criminals, get together to draw up plans to defend themselves? In these Nazi-like concentration camps, the poor, the poor are students. And there, they learn namely that their only solution for survival is violence against the system using violence against them. I will say to the Nixons, the Rockefellers, and the Hearsts, and to their puppets and the state police that their solution to this resistance 
is not to kill and destroy the resistors, but to eliminate the social conditions which give rise to the resistance. And yes, we would prefer that these social changes take place by peaceful means. But experience has shown that the ruling class will never relinquish power voluntarily. The government will never, even in a period of crisis such as Watergate, the energy crisis, etc., unless it is pushed. Understanding this, it would be wrong to individually go out wolfing at the system with BB guns because the puppets of the ruling class with their military power will kill you. And they do. In order to be successful, we must push with the people, not against them. To push alone would only give the state police reason to take a better aim with their war machine against the people, especially the poor. Young American men were forced to commit immoral, terrorist acts overseas, but they have now returned home very much skilled in how to fight the enemy. They have taught their sisters and brothers these skills, and they are now fighting for a cause they themselves consider just. They have just brought the war home. However, the irony of the U.S. ruling class continues even with the kidnapping of Patricia Hearst. How much media attention would be given if the daughter of a poor black family was kidnapped? How many thousands of dollars would be sent to the family by the Nixons, the Reagans, and yes, the Hearsts? Even more important, would the people themselves care? Or has the ruling class-controlled mass media convinced them that they should only be concerned when the sons and daughters of rich men are kidnapped? It is true that the SLA is using revolution through the media tactics. The SLA's tactics and strategy for revolution are being published in full the same as Nixon's speeches. Never before has the mass media shown such a high interest in the left. They are even quoting Lenin and Mao, not to deal with just the demands put forward by the SLA, but rather to condemn their tactics. They are still asking, what do these people want? The demands put forward by the SLA should have been met yesterday by rich America, but even now, at the risk of Patricia Hearst's life, they still choose to focus primarily on who did it instead of why they did it. In closing, I will say to all people who claim they want to struggle, is it necessary for us to follow the path of the ruling class and their mass media? Could we not better serve the people by dealing primarily with the objective realities of hunger, poor housing, lack of jobs, racism, sexism, etc.? All which are social conditions directly affecting the poor. I will strongly question the sincerity of those who choose to deal primarily with their subjective feelings about Patricia Hearst and the SLA. Again, this article was written by Bernard R. Smallwood, a former Central Committee member and the Venturomos. So where does that leave us? Well, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Power to the people. And power to Patty Hearst, a real urban gorilla. Death to the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. I was standing about 100 yards away when police found their target, a yellow one-story house on 54th near Compton. A live CBS camera crew was on the scene, and this is what it looked like. Let's, uh, let's see if we couldn't still get this picture, but from a little better location, huh? Well, I don't know if it's a good idea to interview somebody right now. <laughs> so, that's a mighty thin palm tree right in front of us. We 
just took a bullet a couple inches or so because we felt it go by. We felt it go by, that's for <laughs> And heard it. And that's as close as I want to be to one, let me tell you. It was about then that a lone black woman came stumbling from the front of the house, her hands bound behind her, gasping from the tear gas. The woman shouted that the attacking police that she was giving up and that she had been held hostage. Officers rushed into the crossfire and pulled her bodily out of the danger area. Under intense questioning, she told police that there were four more heavily armed people inside, and all the while the battle continued. A short time later, no one really knew why, fire was spotted coming from the house. It is just unbelievable that there could be anybody in there shooting back. We were told earlier in the afternoon that there was a basement in that house. Perhaps uh, the people who were being sought were in that basement. It so that would give them a few more minutes to uh, stay alive and uh, fire back at the police. Not, not much more than that. Look at the huge ball of smoke and flame going up out of here now. but police would not allow them near the blaze because in spite of the inferno, firing from the house continued. Much of it organized, some of it the explosions caused by round upon round of ammunition igniting in that intense heat. Huge clouds of dense black smoke blew eastward from the house and could be seen for miles. The flames destroyed the target house and heavily damaged two others. It was a full hour later after the firefight began that firemen were finally allowed in the area. Luckily, they were able to extinguish the flames quickly before the blaze spread further. But suddenly, in the space of slightly more than an hour, what had been a relatively quiet neighborhood had become a battleground, and then a scene of total desolation. The experience of watching the Holocaust in progress was more shocking, more terrifying than anything I have ever experienced. I crouched on the floor of a corner grocery store about 100 yards from the bombardment for more than half an hour with about 15 men, women, and children. You must combat enemy attempts to demoralize us for in the face of, of the failure to achieve military solutions against the People's Army, the enemy has to then step up its efforts in the propaganda war. Their aim is to, one, to prevent a liberation movement from getting underway by destroying it at its source, that is, by undermining the will to fight. And two, where revolutionary warfare has actually begun to conquer it by political means, that is to say, by granting just sufficient political, economic, and social reform for the moment to encourage all but the so-called extremists to abandon the struggle and then kill off the leadership of the people, as in the period of King and Malcolm, and then reinstate as they did the oppression and murder of the then defenseless people. In stating these facts, we wish to say that the collective leadership of the SLA would not under any circumstances or any terms compromise our position or that of the people's freedom. And no one should attempt to speak for us or assume that they by word or action can compromise any request made in behalf of the people by the SLA. On this point we wish to state that the organizations who wish to take part in feeding the people should also cry out for the thousands of children of all colors who have been murdered and starved by the enemy state. They should cry out for the millions of children of all races that are starving and dying now, and not just cry out for the safety of one human being who just happens to be the daughter of an enemy of the people. Fight and cry out in the defense of millions and save the children. 
And by this action you will save also the life of one who has never seen the robbed or knew that the riches of her life were the spoils of a robber and murderer. It is in the judgment of this court that the Hearst family and the Hearst Corporation seems to be more foolishly concerned with the identities of supposed SLA elements rather than with the admission to the people of the crimes committed against the people by the Hearst Empire. By an act of good faith and a true showing to the people, not to the SLA, the Hearst Empire should demonstrate a change of interest, regret for its crimes against the people, and a firm decision that they will no longer be a party to such actions in the future. They should also demonstrate that they are not only concerned with freeing and making a better life for Patricia, but also freeing and making a better life for all the people. However, they have seemingly said by their actions that they know me, and therefore they do not have to repent for their crimes. However, to this I would say, yes, you do indeed know me. You have always known me. I'm that nigger you have hunted and feared night and day. I'm that nigger you have killed hundreds of my people in a vain hope of finding. I'm that nigger that is no longer just a hunted, robbed, and murdered. I'm the nigger that hunts you now. Yes, you know me. You know us all. You know me. I'm the wetback. You know me. I'm the gook, the broad, the servant, the spick. Yes, indeed, you know us all, and we know you, the oppressor, murderer, and robber. And you have hunted and robbed and exploited us all. Now we are the hunters that will give you no rest and will not compromise the freedom of our children. Death to the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people.